What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Coaching Your Coaching Podcast. As always, it's your host, Yash, and this week we brought on an absolute stud, Dr. Mike Young, to talk all things Victor Wembanyama. Dr. Mike Young is the Director of Performance at Athletic Lab Sports Performance and the Performance Director for the North Carolina Courage. Mike's worked with six NCAA championship teams, coached four USA Track and Field National Championships, was an international sport coach for weightlifting, skeleton, bobsled, and team sports, and as a high-performance director, worked with four professional soccer clubs, dozens of NBA players, Super Bowl and World Series champions, four professional rugby teams, and three Premier League soccer clubs. In this episode, we dive into Mike's story and all things Wimbanyana. Let me know what you guys think, and let's get right to it. Yeah, on my hustle, keeping it going, this what you need, yes indeed, this is Coaching Your Coaching, hosted by Yash, the podcast, interviewing the elite, high school, collegiate, and professional athletes, trainers, and doctors, really it's the dopest, info that you need, this is Coaching Your Coaching, let's go. Thank you, Mike, for joining us today. Can you tell me, how'd you get into all this? How'd you get into fitness? Just tell me about it. That's kind of always been my passion. I participated in youth sports, and then somewhere along the line, I took it upon myself to learn a lot myself. I was just really passionate about learning more about how to improve and the human body was really interesting to me and the limits of human performance were really interesting to me. I had an annual edition of the Guinness World Records where I would kind of scour through it and just be fascinated by what people could achieve, not just in sport, but in even the most obscure tasks and a sport in particular and kind of like performance oriented sports like track and field, swimming, weightlifting, powerlifting, those kind of things really were, were quite interesting to me, just testing the limits of human physiology and capacity. So even from a very young age, I was just kind of like trying to learn myself on how to become a better coach of myself. You know, I had great coaches along the way, but early on, I was, you know, pretty interested to see how I could improve myself. So even from like 12, 13 years old, I was you know, reading sports science journals and things of that nature, not thinking that I would necessarily be a coach, but more so thinking about, you know, how would I improve myself and learning as much as I could about something I was like insanely passionate about, but didn't have really the talent to take to the pro level. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That was great. Yeah. And it it sounds like you have a lot pretty like similar experiences to a lot of other, you know, strength and conditioning coaches, people who've gotten into that idea, playing a lot of youth sports, weren't able to, you know, get to that level and kind of harness that ability to just learn as much as you can because not being able to be that person to just as like a shoe in number one to just go in there you kind of have to learn everything work really hard grind all the time to just enamor yourself with all you can help yourself and help others so i definitely see a lot of similarities there with a lot of other ones and i'm curious along your journey you've coached so many professional athletes so many professional teams are there any really memorable coaching experiences that kind of just you just remember today it kind of sticks in your heart like i'm just curious can you share one of those experiences with me well, there's been quite a few, as you mentioned, winning a national championship in track and field at LSU, which was at Baton Rouge, kind of on our home track, so to speak, it was fantastic. And one of my great first exposures to like truly high level performance and, and being a part of a program that was really having perennial success. We won six national championships, indoor, outdoor, between indoor and outdoor and men and women in a four-year span. So kind of a mini dynasty, so to speak. And even a little bit before that, or quite a bit before that, and a little bit after that, the team had continued success. So to be a part of one of the all-time great NCAA teams was fantastic. And my first national championship 
as as a team coach winning it on home soil was was truly memorable. A couple of the athletes that I had the pleasure of working with under uh, Boo Shexnader, who was my mentor, were pivotal to that. And then a couple of years later, working in in uh, team sports, you know, with the North Carolina Courage, we had one of the greatest team sports seasons in you know North certainly North American soccer history, men or female, and maybe one of the most winningest seasons in professional soccer history. Of course, I know there'll be naysayers who say it's women's soccer and doesn't compare. And there's probably some argument to uh, the fact that it was a little bit of a newer sport at the time, but uh, certainly we had, we were no less high level. We had players from many international players and quite a few U.S. women's national team players that would go on and win a world cup. And we had one loss on the whole season and were otherwise undefeated, basically won everything that there was to win. And it was almost, uh, you know, just an incredible experience to be a part of that because we were just so dominant and so successful. It was almost unthinkable during that period where we would ever lose. I ended up losing one one match the entire season, but won three different championships or cups. And it was just a great, great time, great prolonged success in a different domain. Wow. That's amazing. And I'm really curious, like, you know, to go from being a good high school player is already in a really low percentage going division one being another high performer there really really low percentage and then you take another step you go professional and that's like unthinkable for how low of a chance that is what kind of separates those guys like mentally from the rest of the population yeah i mean it's so multifactorial and uh, belief structure and resiliency are, are a huge huge part of it i've seen athletes fail that have the talent and they don't have what it takes upstairs to really make it happen. There's, it's really tough to say that these are the defining characteristics, but I'd say if there's, if there was one or two things that you really kind of tack down and it's not necessarily going to make or break, right? That I think at the end of the day, in many sports, the talent is the number one, two, three thing. You know, if you're five feet tall, you're not playing in the NBA, the odds are against you. If you're 120 pounds, you're not playing in the NFL. So there's certain physical prerequisites that it doesn't matter how much you have going on upstairs that are going to sway that in your favor. But if you have the requisite talent, which there are enough people that do and do not make their respective pinnacle of their sports to figure out what's going on, I think what would be known as grit or resiliency is really one of the key mental capacities. And what I mean by that is how well do you handle adversity? You let it turn you in one direction where you end up failing or doubting yourself, or do you let it turn into an opportunity for growth? And uh, people who have great resiliency and, and grit, stewardiveness, whatever you want to call it, are those that persevere over time and ultimately succeed. Now, of course, the physical capacities need to be in place, the height or weight, whatever the sport requires. But you see it as a differentiator. You know, they figure out a way whether they don't have the training facilities or whether they don't have a coach or whether they had an injury, you know, got a bad call or whatever it is, they are able to bounce back because I've always thought that beauty of sport is that it is effectively life on steroids. You know, it, the highs are bigger, the lows are lower. You experience things that are unfair and unjust. And how do you handle that? And, uh, you know, grit, resiliency are going to carry over both in sport and in life. And you see the people who that have that, I think, have a big leg up if you run into these obstacles that would otherwise shut people down or turn them 
into uh, less successful individuals, less successful outcomes, people that have this ability just kind of plow through and hold their chin up or persevere are the ones that oftentimes succeed in face of adversity, which is inevitable. You know, every, everyone is going to have their good days, but we're inevitably always going to have our bad days as well. If you can persevere through those, then you have much greater likelihood of success. Definitely. I really love that answer. And it brings me to my next point, which is we talked a little bit before this, just very briefly about Victor Wembanyama. And do you think that guys like him, you think they have it here just automatically? Do you see anything special in that very high caliber performance, like how treated and how perfect he is almost in a lab for the NBA? How do you kind of see that mentally? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, he's a really interesting case study because he obviously has everything that you would want physically, right? The guy's kind of an alien is what he's been called. He has checking every single box in terms of being a player. He has the handles and footwork of a guard. He has the height of an oversized center with a tremendous athleticism. And then you throw in his skill level. The guy can shoot from deep and he can handle the ball well. And he clearly has good court awareness. So he's literally checking every box from a on the court perspective, he's kind of like the final boss type, so to speak, right? So he's got like every, every single capacity at full, full charge, full bars, you know, and uh, obviously uh, he's got a great team around him is what it sounds like. They have kind of moved him from one team to another to help him succeed. They have kind of sheltered him a little bit, both in terms of his sponsorship opportunities, as well as pushing him one direction or the not. They've limited him in terms of the access. So I th there's a lot of things going on there. And he obviously plays a huge role in that. I don't know if he's leading it, but he's certainly surrounded himself by people that seem to have his best interests in mind. And they're looking at the bigger picture, which is to say, this is a guy that is clearly a generational talent and could be a, a literal game changer for the sport of basketball because he is something that the sport has never really seen before, you know, He's he's the next one, I think, the surest bet since LeBron James. Almost hard to fail in his type of situation. And when you have, you're checking all the boxes in terms of athleticism and skill set and court awareness and everything else. And what is left to chance is things like, how do you handle the adversities? How do you handle yourself off the court? It seems like he's got a great team around him. And I'm sure he has a big part of that are allowing him to do well. He knows what he knows what he is clearly, you know, I've read a couple articles on the guy. He knows the expectations on him. And I'm sure that that's a, could conceivably be a burden that would crumble and crush many individuals, but he clearly takes it on pretty head first and knows what he's doing, knows what the expectations are. I think he knows what he's capable of. So, I mean, to be able to have that level of awareness and embrace it and not get over the moon, over yourself and kind of ruin it. We've seen a couple of cases in, in the NBA and the NFL where young guys get a lot of money or get a lot of opportunity and they surround themselves with people that actually steer them in the wrong direction. And that uh, ultimately ends their careers or leaves them, you know, sh short from what their potential permitted. And he seems like he's headed in the right direction in every regards. You know, there's some, some evidence and some almost like a mythos around we are who we surround ourselves with different sayings, different studies on this about where we are the product of the five people we spend the most time around. And clearly 
he's doing a pretty good job in that regard, seems to have a good head on his shoulders. And it's almost hard to conceive how you could have a good head on your shoulders when you have the weight of the world on you and the full expectations of an entire sport on you and country, really. If you hear the guy's story, went to a lesser team to focus on his development is really pretty tremendous. And it's almost unheard of, you know, even in the NBA, when these guys are coming up through the AAU system, they oftentimes chase the best team and the teams that will give them the most money really under the table or whatever it is. And what I know about women Yama is that he's not done that. Even he saw the light at the end of the tunnel and yeah. almost pushed away immediate gratification for long-term success. He must very clearly see that he has the potential to be an all-time great, which really not a lot of people are kind of given that mantle at 18 years old. I think he might be 19 years old, but when you know when he was 16, 17 years old, I remember seeing the highlights of this kid doing spin moves and fadeaway threes and that kind of thing. And it's just, he knows what is expected and he's doing what's needed to live up to those expectations. And really, I have a t- tremendous amount of respect for LeBron, but I'm a little bit more of a Jordan guy, but I look at LeBron and I go, wow, it's really impressive because this guy came into the league with similar expectations and similar weight on his shoulders. And he not only lived up to it, he exceeded it, right? How many guys have we had come into the league or any sport where they are almost thought about as youth phenoms and they don't live up to the expectations by that LeBron clearly did and exceeded them. And Weminyama is at least on track to do the right things to do that. So, you know, it'd be exciting to see what he does in these coming years since he gets drafted probably to a a terrible team and <laughs> expectations of the league and the city and the team to basically turn them into an immediate winner. And it looks like he can, he's the kind of guy that could probably do something like that. Definitely. Yeah. I really love that. I mean, there was that quote that came out. I forgot who said it, who said, you know, if there was LeBron and Victor in a draft, they'd take Victor over LeBron. I mean, that's nuts. Like, right. That's yeah. crazy expectations on this kid. And I mean, you're totally right. This kid's amazing and you described it perfectly. And I'm curious, I remember his agent saying that he didn't want to do any weight training exercises for him because he wanted them to be a fresh slate for whichever NBA team he gets on. If you were that guy that was assigned to have Victor as like a fresh slate for yourself, what would you focus on for him? So he's an interesting one because I'm pretty passionate about what's called long-term athletic development. And he's right in the fringe of that. I don't know that he's growing anymore. He may have another inch or so from what I've heard, but let's just say he caps out at wherever he is right now, seven, four, and he still has a relatively lanky body. I think that there was a tendency a couple of years back to look at guys that were seven foot four and whatever he weighs, hundred kilos, 220 pounds, 240 pounds, and immediately say, okay, let's get these guys to shack like bodies or at least like Hakeem Olajuwon type bodies. And the game has changed a lot. I don't think that's necessary. And two, you're basically feeding, feeding his weakness perhaps, but taking away from his strength, which is the guy's so insanely athletic and skilled that you, if you have this end goal of putting on a lot of mass, then maybe you're going to take away from his strengths. I've got a player that I work with right now. He was kind of a wingman, incredibly athletic, and he was put in a position where he could be in a starter on a pretty high level team. And they wanted him to just make sure he put on 15, 20 pounds in the off season. And, you know, that basically takes a guy out of their game a lot of times. So, you know, there's certain expectations that are within reason, five, 10 pounds, whatever that looks like. But, um, you know, expect a Yama to put on weight really quickly 
I don't think that's fair to him or the right move ultimately. So what do I do when, if I'm taking over a Victor Wembanyama? That'd be tremendous opportunity. I've actually thought about that at some point. I'd like to get into the NBA and work with players like that. And a guy like that is best served as a long-term project. He's going to fill out naturally. The kid's 18, 19 years old. He's going to fill out naturally, similar to Giannis did. You know, when Giannis was drafted, he was like kind of a skinny boy almost, but then filled out to be almost like a video game character. So there's going to be some of that that will naturally occur as he, as he matures. But then I think you can foster and develop it as well. The, the trick would just be patience. So I think one of the reasons why the the guy's been so good at each level from 16 through 19, lived up to expectations, is because he's been patient enough in his long-term athletic development and uh, skill development and everything else. So the, the same thing would need to be true in terms of the physical capacities. I think you definitely do want to lift the guy, but you got to be careful. You know, careful in terms of he's, as I mentioned, he's a physically a little bit of an alien, seven foot four. There's probably positions that he might not be able to get into that you might you know, you might be able to get a guy who's 6'2 into. The leverages just aren't the same. And then also in terms of the experience, what you do, I think it's really important. I think if you have a guy like that, who's effectively an expert on the court, but a novice in the gym, then I think you treat him like a novice, right? Don't, he's got to do the very basic things and do them very well. I think you focus on movement competencies and being able to do it safe. First thing first with a guy like that who's going to come in is keep him safe, keep him healthy. You know, you look at a guy like Chet Holmgren, who had a, a very high expectations. And, uh, you know, even before he plays his first NBA game, gets injured. Not anything to do with the physical development, but a kind of a freak injury. So the last thing you want to do is have a guy with super high expectations and they're out right away. He is just young, so presumably he can handle a decent training load. But uh, a lot of that would have to be monitored and cared for, and you have to basically take your time with him. You know, I think Victor Weminyama is a top secret stealth jet, right? I mean, you've got to gotta fly that thing with care because there's only so many of them on the entire planet. It's not yeah. like you just take this thing out and treat it like everybody else. And he's literally like a top secret stealth jet and that he is probably going to be worth billion plus dollars by the end of his career. So this is a guy you got to take care of. You got to be patient with. You got to make sure that you surround him with experts and uh, don't rush the process. Don't feel like you have to do what you're doing with everybody else or feel like you're, you're beholden to putting on more weight. The classic model is get these guys that are seven, four to 280, 300 pounds or something like that, like a shack or like a Embiid or something like that. But this guy's not like those guys, right? So what you would get a guy like this on your team for is because he's literally not like those guys. He's something else altogether that we've never seen before. So why would you try to, you know, assess a fish by how well it can fly? We don't do that. So keep the guide good at what he's doing and enhance it as much as you can. I wouldn't be shy of incorporating weights. I think it would be necessary, but my goal wouldn't ever be to like put on mass. You know, my guy who would, who would just kind of move from more of a wing guy to having to play power forward. I think it took away from his game with the mandate of putting on weight. And he really wasn't even able to, to meet the criteria that the team was looking for. So now that he's basically able to move back into more of a uh, wingman and uses athleticism, he's back to playing at a very high level again. So, you know, we have to be really careful not to try to fit someone into our preconceived notion of what they are, especially when what they actually are is something we've never seen before, like a Victor Weminiola. Mm-hmm.
Definitely. I really love that. And you mentioned while you were talking about Victor, some of the other guys who were not as alien as Victor, but have been seen as unicornish, you know, like Chad Bull Bull, guys like that, who have that thing everyone's kind of looking for, which is like oversized, but as a guard, you know, and that whole narrative around them needing to put on mass and being more injury prone right now. You talked a lot about Victor not going that shack route, taking like a different approach. Where do you kind of see it going in the NBA in this whole next generation? You think see things changing? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's been an evolution. Some of it is due to the players, right? We're getting players that are almost unheard of before. I think the only player that I can think of that was kind of like your Holmgren's and your, I don't know, maybe a women Yama or something like that. We had a Ralph Sampson back in the eighties and we had, I guess, Kareem was kind of slight, but for the most part at that position, you're, those guys don't have the skill that these guys have in terms of like ball handling. And then even passing, you look at like big men, like your Jokic and your uh, Embiid, those guys can still put up 10, 12 assists a game and be one of the best assist leader on their team. So even the kind of more traditional looking big men, they can shoot from three, they can pass the ball, they can even dribble pretty well, just that's not their, their responsibility. You know, it is really interesting. Those other guys you mentioned, Ball Ball and uh, Chen Holmgren, and we have yet to see what he, he'll really do in the NBA level. And there's been a handful of others that are like that. I think they're, they, like you said, I think if we got tiers to it, there's unicorn level and then there's an alien level. And those guys might be unicorn level. They haven't quite lived up to the billing. But I think even like you look at a guy like Durant, kind of he defined the position. You know, they wanted Durant to be a little bit heavier and to be a little bit stronger. And he famously, a really bench press at the combine at the required weight. And meanwhile, he's like be the best scorer of his generation. So, you know, I think with, with sport in general, I kind of think of it like this. We have some sports that are kind of physical capacity oriented. You're, you're cycling, you're swimming, you're weightlifting, you're track and field, powerlifting maybe. And then we have other sports which are like incredibly highly skilled, like golf and I don't know, maybe bowling or whatever, just purely skill archery or something like that. And then we have a ton of sports that sit somewhere in the middle or on that continuum. And basketball is a really highly skilled sport that requires at least, we know, a really huge body size, right? You need to have a certain level of height, wingspan to probably even put yourself in the pool of potential prospective players. Even now, there are players that aren't incredibly athletic, but they are highly skilled. But if you can put the two things together, like if your sport is a highly skilled sport, let's say, for example, take golf. If your sport is highly skilled and there have been, you know, over a century of players who had no athleticism, didn't work out or anything like that and succeeded at a very high level for golf. Uh, and then you start to bring in a guy like Tiger Woods, right? Who is a incredible athlete and he works out and he's strong and he benches 300 pounds. And then you put him in the, in the, with the rest of the field, now it just becomes game changing, right? Because the skill is on par yeah. and then you have the physical capacity on top of it. Well, that's what we're now seeing with some of these players is that, okay, if we can take the good skills and the quickness of a guard and the three point shoot, now, you know, a center can shoot threes now. That was like unheard of 20 years ago. If we take those, the skill set and we put these physical capacities on top of it, now it's like, how do you even deal with that? Just 
changes the way the game is played. Now, if, if the game should somehow revert back to what it was in the 80s and 90s, meaning you have to be more physically dominant or like literally physical, they allow more body contact, closer guarding, that kind of thing. Not necessarily roughing like you'd see from the, from the Pistons or, you know, the Knicks of that, that time period. But if they just allow a little bit more, you know, bodying, I think that does change the game a little bit because now you're going to need to see bigger, stronger players because right now it rewards players that play on the perimeter and are very quick and can shoot a three. So if you're a guy who's seven feet tall and can shoot a three, well, that's great. Now, how, how does a guy who's just six feet tall and, and quick change the game? Because this other guy has all the skill set that you do, but you know, he has more, he has the everything else, but if the game changes now, then it reverts back. I think if you take a guy like Shaq, he's still going to be dominant. He's going to be one of the few players that are going to have none of the skill set of a modern day player, but he's still going to be dominant, but there's not a lot of guy. He was an alien as well in a different way. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I can tell you're a Jordan guy because one of the main arguments for Jordan is that in the NBA today, he would average a lot more points than people say he was. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, you mentioned long-term athletic development. We had on a, a guy, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but uh, his name's Rick Howard. He uh, used to design a lot of the uh, NCSA stuff for uh, LTAD. One of the things he mentioned was the specialization of sports in like the mid-high school ages to really enhance the middle point between skills and, you know, where the athletes are really growing at that point in time to set them up for long future. But I'm curious because you work with athletes at such a high professional level. What's your opinion on the whole specialization part? Do you see athletes specializing super early that are the ones that have a really strong correlation with, you know, the long term? Or is it something like a little later in the later high school years? I'm curious your thoughts on that. So I think the entire discussion has as if there are really two choices, meaning stay as general as long as possible, don't ever specialize or you're hyper-specialized from an early age. And I think the reality is the optimal sits somewhere in between, and it's a little bit nuanced from the sport. In certain sports, there is certainly evidence to suggest that early specialization does help. You know, we look at activities like gymnastics, for example, for a variety of reasons, the best performers are oftentimes the very youngest ones. And, and there's a variety of reasons for that. It might be because, especially like in women's gymnastics, that you simply grow too big to do a lot of the flips and everything else that they are required to perform in a very high level in that sport. It's to the benefit of someone who is, has almost a prepubescent body, you know, or adolescent type body rather than a full grown adult body. But we see in other sports where that's not necessarily the case. Like Giannis famously took up basketball as a 18, 19 year old or something to that effect. And he played soccer up until that point and, and a variety of other activities. I just think it's a little bit more nuanced than people like to suggest. I don't think specialization is the dirty word that many people make it out to be. I think there is a need for specialization somewhere around 16, 17 years old. Generally speaking, varies plus or minus, you know, maybe minus two to three years for some sports and maybe plus a year for other sports that is required to perform at a high level. But we just need to be careful to kind of lump everyone in, into one kind of 
bag and say, oh, this, it's good or bad. I will say that in the sport of basketball, I think that early specialization is probably a little bit overdone. I'd like to see athletes ideally do a little bit more well-rounded training or well-rounded exposure. And what's interesting is that doesn't necessarily require them to compete in other sports. They could, you know, compete in other sports till 14, 15, and then just specialize in basketball at 16 on, but they need to have generalized training. So they need to do things other than basketball, whether that's in their warm up or their physical preparation or in their off season, they should be exposed to, you know, other activities, other sports. So they are movement literate across a variety of different tasks. And then you have other sports, which are like, you know, I think youth soccer right now is really interesting, especially in the United States in that if you don't make say an academy team when you're 13 or 14, it doesn't necessarily preclude you. Like theoretically, it doesn't preclude you from making teams when you're older, but it's really, really hard to make teams when you're older if you don't get in the pipeline. So it's less about, do you have the skill set necessarily, but you won't necessarily even have the chance to make a team if you say picked up the sport at 17, 18 years old in youth soccer in America. And I don't think that's necessarily the case in in basketball. You know, if I just picked up a basketball for the first time at 20 years old and I'm seven foot six and have an eight foot wingspan, you better believe there's some college that's going to give me a college scholarship, even though I've never stepped foot on a basketball court. But that's not the case with a lot of other activities. You know, I think there are cases where early specialization matters, but it's in general, I think we want to have a balance. It's not necessarily a bad word that we need to completely avoid. I think that's almost an ignorant mindset. We have to have some form of specialization, but the way I think about it is the more we specialize, probably the lower, and this is true, not only in terms of long-term athletic development, but on an annual planning, the more we specialize, the lower of a functioning human being we become physically, right? So if I just throw a baseball all the time with my right hand, well, guess what? I'm going to become pretty imbalanced. I'm going to develop all kinds of issues. I maybe can't do very much besides throw a baseball with my right hand. And now when I have to actually go bat or I have to go run or I have to, you know, change direction, now that's where I run into an issue. So specialization is needed for high performance, but generalized training and exposure to activities is also needed to make sure that we attain a high functionality as a, as a human. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I really love that response. Thank you. And I'm curious, you really have to get into those clubs, like you said, for soccer or like for basketball, there's like AAU, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for younger kids to compete very often. And sometimes at the high school level, guys like Lamelo Ball and, you know, Lonzo Ball, guys who grew up here and had, you know, pro athletes as a parent or, you know, just really exposed to it really in the system. They play four or five AAU games on a weekend. They play a lot of basketball throughout the week. I'm curious, what's your thoughts on that? And like, how do you kind of see that translating in the NBA now? Is this the reason why, you know, athletes are just becoming better and better every day in the sport of basketball or, you know, in general in other sports? Or do you also see it having some negative effects from like just being able to play so much basketball that it's going to start showing up later? Do you, do you see any patterns for that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, exposure to the sport is certainly going to accelerate skill acquisition. It makes you more high functioning in the sport or any skill, whatever you're trying to do, but probably lower functioning is for more generalized things. I think what you are seeing is that when when the balance of competing versus training or preparation, competing versus preparation is out of whack, then you run into a, a higher likelihood of 
injuries and a disparity between uh, their specialized skill set and a more generalized movement library. And that's part of what helps people to be resilient over extended periods of their career. You know, I think LeBron has done a fantastic job of taking care of himself and he's kind of a a case study in long-term athletic development because he's continued to succeed over a really long period of time. But if you look, the guy takes care of his body and he trains well, but you look at many other guys who are kind of of the AEU type generation and they play three to five times a week and they travel all over the country and they're continuously competing. And even now, I think we have an era of players that are, you know, almost not learning the game necessarily, but uh, playing for highlights and playing for Instagram and their highlight reel, et cetera, is that you have players that, you know, are growing up with this almost need to have excessive load management because they haven't built up the tolerance. That ratio of training to competition is just so far out of whack that, you know, imagine if you just took tests every single day, right? That's what a competition or a game is. That's just taking a test every single day. You never have time to prepare for the test. All you do is you take the test. Well, you'd, you'd certainly get pretty damn good at taking a test, but you might not do very well on the test over extended periods of time. So ideally our best results are going to come from when that ratio of preparation to testing or competition is, is in line with each other and different sports are going to have different ratios. If you're a track and field athlete, you might only compete five to 10 times in a year. If you're a weightlifter, you might only compete three times in a year. Basketball obviously has 82 games plus preseason plus playoffs. And that, that's already a sport, which is lending itself to at, at the highest level to a ton of uh, competing, but not a lot of preparation. And soccer is actually going that way as well at the very highest level. You know, some of the teams that I've consulted with have played 70 matches in a year. That's a lot of, that's a lot of physical demand, 70 matches in a year, one game, more than one game a week for a sport that is, you know, maybe more physically demanding than basketball. So it is just really tough when, when these ratios get out of whack. I think it is problematic in that it's starting with the AEU and the showcases and all that. And I don't know how it gets back because there's so much money involved now with all these new kind of like high school startup leagues and what have you, that uh, that's going to drive a lot of this. And players are seeing the Lamellos and guys that can get picked up out of those types of programs and the fame that they get in the shoe deals that they get even before they ever have put on a pro court and seeing that their success and thinking that that's the path and not recognizing that for every Lamello, there's you know maybe a hundred guys that went that same route and didn't make it. And it's, it's easy to see the success stories and sometimes forget about the failures. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I really love that. And I'm curious, you know, with the NBA's talks of lowering the draft eligibility, I think in the coming years, they're having discussions about that. What's your kind of thoughts on that from like the strength and conditioning perspective and everything you've worked with with athletes? I mean, I think it's fine. It is, you know, I think that is a financially driven motive because now they're up against like some of these other leagues going overseas like Lamelo, or, you know, the NIL is changing everything in the NCAA. So now they're basically forced to say, hey, you could be pro everywhere else except for in the top pro league in the world. I guess we'll just change the standard. So now you can be a pro in the top pro league in the world. And, you know, I don't know that I'm necessarily against it. It might be a nice thing to have. You, you get guys in and my concern is that you're just rushing them. You know, it seemed like Oklahoma City was going to take care of a guy like Chet. They knew what they had before he got injured. 
I don't know any inside scoop on that or anything, but it seemed like they weren't they weren't trying to rush him or anything. I assume what they'll do with everybody will wear kid gloves a little bit with women Yama. But uh, getting a kid in it at 18 years old isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just let's make sure that the expectations are right. I think Kobe is a great case of what was handled athlete that was handled well, right? So he was brought in. They knew he was going to be very high expectations, but they gave him time to develop. You know, I think he didn't start for 10 or 20 games of the year for the Lakers. You know, this is an all-time great. And, and that's probably the right move to make. The guy's 18, 19 years old. You reduce the expectation on him. You give him an opportunity to kind of get into that position. I mean, I'm much older than that now, but I can't imagine being 18 or 19 and have the weight of a team or a city on my shoulders, especially in a big market, right? You have people, you know, you hop on Instagram, you have people telling you your family is shit and you're a worthless <laughs> human being because you had a bad, you had a bad game and you're 18 yeah. or 19 years old. And you're like, wow, this is, I'm a human being here. So, I mean, just giving people an opportunity to grow into that, I think is important and a fair thing. I think the risk would be if we do lower the draft age and we allow guys in, be patient with them because they're 18 or 19 that, you know, just because you get them early, let's make sure that you now have the, the development in your hands rather than putting it in someone else's. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I really love that. And you mentioned earlier that you kind of wanted to venture more into like the NBA and training. I know you train NBA players now, but going further into that and entering more of an NBA side. So let's manifest a little bit here. You know, last question before we get out. If, could you mention a couple of players like past, present, maybe future, like coming into the, the NBA that you'd really like to work with or, you know, would have worked with and like some things that you would have like a Mike Young perspective on, you know, like something that, you know, it may not have been trained for them in the past, or maybe it has been done, but what would you kind of do for that? We, I mean, we talked about Victor Weminyama. I think everybody would love to work with us. <laughs> that guy. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, as Scoot as well, I think those guys are both going to be fantastic, fantastic talents that are coming into the league. Tremendous athleticism. I think looking at a guy like John Morant would be an interesting challenge because he's already got so much natural innate talent that, you know, how, how do you build on it? How do you keep the guy safe? And then the ones that I think are really would be interesting and have a nice challenge as an SNC coach is the, the developmental side and this, and the maintenance side. So that's your younger guys that you can build up over time and make sure that they have best practices for long-term athletic development. So there's, you know, kind of teams that have a, have a younger squad or maybe guys that are coming back from injuries, but also your guys who are like, how do you extend their careers? So whether that's like, I don't know, a Chris Paul or a Durant or something like that, how do you, ex how do you take these guys that are at the top of their game and just give them one or two more years? Like LeBron's obviously got a pretty good team around him and have done a good job of allowing him to play at a really high level for so many years. So it, that would be kind of like, what is the most challenging, I think. And I think that I really like those kinds of challenges, figuring out where you can be really impactful and make a difference. So the young guys that need physical development, yeah, uh, Giannis from whatever, 10 years ago or something like that, that would have been fun. I know he's in great hands with over at Milwaukee and, but even some of the older players where you're just trying to extend their careers. I think it would also be uh, one I, one I thought would be interesting would be like, like a Jokic or a Doncic guys that aren't really known for their physical, you know, to be fair, they're almost known for being not great physical specimens. Yeah. And what could you do with those guys? Right. You know, I think it'd be wrong to say, okay, let's try to turn a Luca into a, 
I don't know, John Morant, you're never going to get there. But how do you how do you lean him up a little bit? How do you get him a little bit more in the weight room and stronger? The guy's clearly strong. People call him not athletic, but the guy's clearly athletic. Yeah. He's just, he needs to get in a little bit better shape. He probably needs to lean up a little bit. And those are the kinds of things that I think would be really, would be interesting where you can make a, a huge difference. I think Luca's another generational talent. I think he, he's probably the, maybe before, he'll probably reach some milestones before Victor, Victor Remediama takes him over as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love that. and. Before we get out of here, we talk so much basketball. I, I can't leave without asking like your NBA hot take, like league hot take, strength and conditioning hot take. What you got for me? I don't know. The league just got thrown for a loop in the past, I don't know, three or four weeks, whatever it is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who I've got a favorite on or what have you. I, uh, even in the last couple of days, I like to watch the Grizz play and was fascinated by the athleticism of job, but obviously he's got his problems going on right now. And. That probably takes them out of it. I am. I don't have a, a team per se. Maybe the Miami Heat. I've got a guy who, down there who was a great guy. They're probably the only team right now that I think is like uh, maybe in the playoff hunt. DJ Warren, I worked with. He's now, he was part of the uh, Durant trade. And so they're obviously one of the many favorites, I think. But in terms of being a, a single player, I really like Luca's game. My daughter plays. I've kind of said, hey, watch this guy play. He's got... Uh, just a ton of skill and is really competitive and everything. So in terms of S&C hot take, I'm not one for hot takes in S&C or develop, physical development. I'm a big guy in terms of like do the fundamentals well. The basics are always going to win. A lot of people will ask me to lecture on really sexy and interesting stuff and really deep sports science. And I think that's great. It pushes the needle forward in our field. But at the end of the day, don't ever lose sight of the, the basics and doing the basics incredibly well is always going to win out over doing the flashy, sexy stuff. So uh, I'm actually going to steer clear of hot takes in S&C because I, I oftentimes get misinterpreted of saying that they are they might have more, more value than they are. I think the basics and the fundamentals are are where the, the real value lie in our field. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I really appreciate you coming on today. Just before we hop off, anything like you want to plug, any projects you got going on, where can people find you, anything like that? So I have been largely dead on social media for the past year and a half, but I will be making a return very, very shortly on Instagram. I'm just at Mike Young PhD, and we'll try to get a little bit more active there as well. I have a coaching education course, which is one of the more well-rounded myself and others, very smart people have helped me put it together. You can find more information on that at athleticlabacademy.com and that's available online as well as in person. And thank you for having me on. It's been a great discussion. Don't don't often get a chance to talk about basketball and my my takes on that and appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Yeah, I really appreciate you hopping on. I'm I was so excited that we went from the Victor conversation all the way to here. You know, it's not often that I get to talk basketball too. So it's really great. I'm not that I'm not super into the basketball strength and conditioning side, but it was so cool to see great takes you had. You know, everything you said today was really just dropping gems. So I'm really excited to, you know, put this out there and put a lot of value out. So I really appreciate hopping on and thank you everyone for listening.